Hey, I'm Angie. And I'm Emily. Being a creative person in the corporate space can be really tough, and we should know. Join us to talk about how to be a right brain in a left-brained world. It's The Artist at Work. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that we've touched on many times here before and would love to actually devote some minutes to exclusively, and that is the concept of professionalism, how it is changing, how the current um, idea of it is pretty exclusive and elitist and not great, and how we both have been called out for being quote unquote unprofessional in the past and what all of us can do to fight that idea of old timey working in a bank wearing pantyhose being the professional attitude that we need to bring to a job um, and what we can do to change the idea of professionalism and combat the, um, the weird, I don't know, ideas and biases that we have around what it takes to be a good worker. Ooh, that was a lot. That was like an abstract of an article. And I apologize for that. I just have a lot of takes about this thing. (laughs) Yeah. People are really just letting that whole intro set in there. Yeah. You know, this is funny because I think that like the idea of professionalism has changed a lot over the last year, obviously. I was wearing an emotional sweatsuit to work every day when I was going into an office, but now I'm wearing a physical sweatsuit and an emotional sweatsuit. (laughs) (laughs) And those things were seen as quote unquote unprofessional. But now, yeah, when I slide into a zoom, um, wearing a, the sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now on this video, I am allowed to do that because I'm a 40 year old white lady. Um, and if I were to show up to a, a corporate interview wearing a sweatsuit as a 40 year old white lady, I think at this point in my career, it would be seen as part of my personal brand instead of a ding against me as a prospective employee. And that bums me the fuck out to use a professional term. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think that like, there's a lot to unpack here as far as privilege goes, as far as elitism goes, as far as the way that we think about what is and is not professional and how the, the concept of professionalism by itself rests so little on skills and proficiencies itself and in the way that we interpret people's sort of approaches and backgrounds and um, how that kind of needs to change a lot. I don't know. I've talked too much, Angie. What do you think? <laughs> no, I think what you're saying is right. And It probably helps that your sweatshirt says Northwestern as well. Fair. (laughs) Go cats. So I think what you're saying is perception and first impressions matter. And oftentimes things like where you went to school, where you worked prior, and whether that has a Google attached to it or a big, big company, big brand in your city gives you street cred. I think to call back to things we have talked about Um, a few episodes ago is I was dinged for being too authentic. So I was seen as too playful, too maybe silly or perhaps laughing too much. Sorry. (laughs) And that, you know, if when, especially when you're young or you look younger than you are, which is also been something that I have literally been turned on from jobs and they've said, I think you'd be perceived as too young to lead this team. Wow. I think, I think that's illegal, but they told me that that's why I didn't get the role. Wow. 
So you kind of go over this line of like, am I too young and inexperienced or now am I too old and I'm a lady? So it's like, where's that sweet spot? And it has a lot to do with what you look like, unfortunately. And then how the person who's giving you a role or offering you your opportunity judges you, which is shitty. I have also, as you have um, been chastised over the years about being a little bit too playful, being a little bit unfocused or or distracted, which is true. That's that's empirically true. I am and I have been. But I think a lot of that has also been born of frustration because everything is so buttoned up in corporate and feels like I am working and living in a cartoon of a corporate job rather than doing cool, creative work that I was hired to do. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also you need to give yourself a break from the work and the distraction of being silly and playing your recorder at your desk is a distraction we all need sometimes. So I think, you know, in situations where it's unwelcomed, maybe it's, it's time to move on anyways. Exactly. And I think that, you know, we've spoken about, we've seen a lot, how important team building and how important culture building is. And you can't build these really like cool, interesting, invested, engaged teams without having fun. Whatever fun is to you, maybe fun is wearing pantyhose and playing with a calculator and that's cool. But like that freedom of creative expression, even if you aren't perceived or, you know, in a typically creative career, you have to be able to just have a little bit of that breathing room to not be a person who is bonking on a calculator for eight hours a day. There's a culture building aspect to it. You have to play the recorder or bang on a calculator, or at least just be able to take your tie off a little bit. Yeah. And I also think that part of being in a creative career and the in choosing that path for yourself is that you wanted work to not be a drag. You wanted creative expression. You wanted to be the ones who had the cool team and got to make the cool stuff. Like that was part of the desire to follow your artistic dreams and passions is to get to do, I get to make things pretty for my job or whatever that is, write a jingle for a commercial there's something inherent about having a creative profession and going to school and practicing your craft to have that creative expression so that you can have more fun at work. 1 million percent. I I don't want to throw any of our um, human resources, professional friends and colleagues under the bus, but I wonder if this is a recruitment problem because there seems Mm. to be a real disconnect between what I see on LinkedIn or what I see on your website about what a collegial family your company is. And then I get there and it's, or not I, anybody gets there and it's, no, you've got to, you know, check all these boxes and act quote unquote professional. Um, and I wonder if that's a workplace experience thing, which in my very immediate purview and experience, the whole concept of workplace experience is growing up a little bit and has a lot since I have been working, but I do think that there is a little bit of a lag between what we say to external candidates versus how we actually execute on that, um, those promises to people who end up uh, as employees. Yeah. And that just sounds like self-awareness as a company, right? You're packaging yourself in shiny polka dot paper, but when you get there, it's actually made of craft paper with a white ribbon. Um, and it doesn't look nearly as fun. I like craft paper. I'm not shitting. I was, I was just going to say the same thing. 
<laughs> I adore craft paper. <laughs> well, and that's a big job to do too. And there, there, you know, I don't want to lose sight of or dismiss the fact that the work itself still does need to get done. And I certainly never want to advise or, or, you know, advocate for replacing Slack channels with jungle gyms. But I do think that it's, it's worth kind of having a more robustly told story about like what we believe about professionalism and how, you know, we are asking those that, that concept to evolve as a company, not just as people and how, you know, maybe some orgs aren't necessarily walking the talk. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about what you said is that, you know, when we were dinged for our lack of professionalism, it had nothing to do with our output or not getting our work done. It was, it was just someone being controlling and saying I had to fit into this box to be a, a perfect employee, whereas actually I was excelling, but yet you decided you wanted to ding me on something that you have control over almost. That's a perfect way of putting it. I mean, we were constantly like empirically high performers with a lot of output, but the ways in which we approached the work itself and the stuff in the sandbox that nobody saw was perceived as being somewhat unorthodox, which itself is its own problem, right? Like how do we socialize work processes that other people see as unusual or not the way that they would do things? How do we make the work process itself a little bit more accessible and inclusive? Yeah. And I'm almost of two minds here. I'm almost like, it's none of your business. Our team functions and we get great work done and we're creative minded. So we need to express ourselves differently. And then the other side of me, the inclusive leader side wants to be like, Let's invite people into this process, but then it slows things down, right? And like, if we're trying to get work done and do more work and do cool things, the interruptions mess up with the creative flow. So it's such an interesting conversation. I think from where I sit, it's the, I think it is the job to your point of high performing teams to set an example for working in ways that haven't been approached or or used in the past. I teach a quarterly writing class to my organization and had one yesterday that was specifically about how not to use corporate speak and jargon. And it is something that is everybody's problem, myself included, even though I am the the steward and the ambassador of, of not using these words and using human language and accessible language and inclusive language. But sometimes I say things like level set and pipeline and paradigm shift, and I hate it. And you will actually really appreciate this example. And I will show you the slide after we get off the call and maybe even put it in our show notes. My example of how people adopt corporate jargon without knowing it is that when I first listened to the song, Call Me Maybe, I thought it was bad. And you told me that it was good. And then I kind of listened to it that summer, like a little bit ironically and was like, oh, this is kind of good. And by the end of that summer, I was like banging it on the train every day and being like, call me maybe like forever and ever and ever and like singing (laughs) along and dancing. Very good. Um, and that's how we adopt a corporate jargon, which is what how, how I use this specific example. That's how people end up saying things like level set and paradigm shift. But it's also how we adopt these really problematic socialized behaviors about you know work and what we perceive as appropriate, which I am using huge quote fingers with. And it's everybody's job to kind of like hit pause and say, this isn't how we want our workplaces to be. And we are really responsible and accountable for making more inclusive faces that aren't like using these shitty old, like racist, classist, elitist perceptions of, you know, professionalism. 
Yeah. And it, unfortunately, that has to come from leadership. It has to come from the top and drip down. Your middle management people can definitely make an impact on their own teams, but it's not going to span the culture of the company without the leadership really having a reckoning with themselves and understanding that, wow, we really need, I should stop wearing a suit to work every day. That's setting an example that I'm, I'm more put together than you are when it's not a suit culture. Right. And unfortunately, again, it's the, it's the white dudes in positions of power who all of a sudden are seen as iconoclasts who wear a t-shirt under a blazer. And all of a sudden everybody's wearing, dressing like Steve Jobs. Right. Um, and that's not cool. So what can we do as interviewers, as workers to sort of make workplaces more inclusive, to make the interviewing process more inclusive? How can we advise other people to look out for their own inherent biases and just sort of change the definition about professionalism and like why that's so shitty and stupid to even be talking about in the first place? Yeah. I don't know if I have a great answer for this, but Personally, I have felt the last year people have just relaxed a little bit from a dress standpoint, from a I need to look ready to be on camera standpoint. And I hope that sticks around because, I mean, I can count on two hands the amount of times I've put mascara on and done my hair on the same day. Whereas I used to do that every day without thinking about it and go to work by nine in the morning. So I'm just hoping that that like a little bit more casual and like let people show who they, not who they are, but like they're a more authentic self, right? Like don't feel as performative about what I look like. Does that matter? And I'm not going to be judged on it, especially professionally. Yeah, I think you're right. I just think in general, I hope that the rules relax most of all for people who are younger in their career, for people who, um, you know, aren't like white people wearing a Northwestern sweatshirt. And I also want to make sure that people who do want to put lipstick on for a zoom aren't going to get made fun of in the meeting, in the chat as well. Yeah. You know, because I think that's the other side of it. It's like you and I are very comfortable just like wearing sweats on a zoom a that's because of privilege and B because that's kind of who we are. But I think that like, I have certainly in the past sort of like nudged somebody. A great example is like in like elementary school, when somebody would bring a purse to class, I'd be like, what are (laughs) you doing? (laughs) But like, who is it hurting? It's making me uncomfortable. It's not making them uncomfortable. So why am I mad about it? And I just want everybody to be able to like show up as themselves and let the work speak for itself. And I think we are so far away from letting that be completely true at work. And I just, you know, wear a purse to your interview, put lipstick on, wear a sweatsuit. It doesn't matter. And that should be, you know, turn your camera off. Maybe this is a little bit too reductive and idealistic of me, but, you know, being allowed to just let the work speak for itself first and foremost is a gift that I think all of this virtual work has given to us. And so I think we should like press on that a little bit harder and challenge ourselves to be uncomfortable with what we don't see. So this week, why don't you try to do something that maybe you don't think is professional for yourself? Don't wash your hair, wear a sweatsuit, or get super ready and see what happens. Watch the comments. See if people comment on your appearance or don't, or, you know, bring your team along with you. Ask them to try it too and, and see what happens. Just take note of it. Yeah. Context is everything. And, you know, eventually 
the work is the most important part. So if we can remove ourselves and our own biases from that, then let's just all do the shit rather than thinking about the shit. Totally. All right. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Artist at Work. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Instagram and Twitter under the handle at artist at work pod. And our website is theartist at work.com. We'll see you next time.